Welcome to the Nation's Blind Podcast, coming to you from the headquarters of the National Federation of the Blind in Baltimore. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast. My name is Danielle Trevino in the studio with... This is Neil Lewis, back again. Hey, Neil. <clears throat> Along with the frog in my throat. You know what? Remember how last time I was all cocky and I was like, yeah, I totally got... Uh, I avoided the convention crud. Yeah. I was sick as a dog Oh, uh, look at weekend. that. It was just lurking around the corner. Dude, it was bad because I, I went back to Orlando for yeah. a different convention, and yeah. Orlando was like, fool me once. Shame but, on you or whatever. But you survived. You're back I in, did. in true form. Good I, for you. I did. I did. Um, how are you doing? Doing great. Doing awesome. Outstanding. Excellent. Good. Good. Yeah. All positive adjectives. Absolutely. Good. Because I'm a positive person. Speaking of adjectives. Except for one thing I'm not yeah. very positive about. I was going to say. What are you going to say? I was sad, melancholy, morose, blue. Wow. You, we got to work on you. Uh, Get more positive stuff. It's because they left me hanging. They? Yeah. Or our listeners? Our listeners. Yeah. Well, you know. it's okay. You know. Yeah. If, just in case you guys you. are wondering, Gosh. Danielle's really upset because <laughs> we put a call out for people that are going back to school to call us or text us or tweet us or all those you know old school and contemporary methods and we didn't we got even nothing. get a pigeon like not even a pigeon well no one's going to school no no must school's not over. be no one's going to school school's out forever yeah for summer <laughs> we should write that song <laughs> <laughs> um anil what was your favorite subject in school let me ask you the questions since you know <laughs> they let us down my favorite subjects were math and science really yeah i hated history <clears throat> did you yeah but now i love history History's cool. It's all about the teachers. I had really poor teachers and history mm. teachers, but loved science and math. You? Uh, I would have to say my first favorite was choir. Okay. And then English. That makes sense. Our little diva here is vocalist <laughs> as well. And <laughs> English writing, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. 40 characters or less? No, 100. Whoa, 140 characters. Oh, I'm still learning. Still you, wow, you were going to kill the tweets. Yeah. Well, regardless of them telling us about their school experiences, I think that we're still going to talk about school. Oh, for sure, for yeah, sure. Because we need to get these fearless diamonds. Remember from last episode? Hashtag See, fearless that's, diamonds. That's my elephant memory working. <laughs> uh, that we have to make sure that they understand that we as an organization, the National Federation of the Blind, are working diligently to make sure that educational environments are accessible to our blind students. So maybe the positive thing out of them not calling is they're all ready. Maybe they're all good. Yeah. Are you guys all good? There's no problems out there. You can reach out and tell us that you're all good. We, uh, matter of fact, we want to hear that when you're all good, when you have successes, because you know, as a family, uh, as a federation family, we want to hear about your joys and your sorrows. There you go. I see what you did there. That's Thanks. a Baltimore chapter meeting thing. It is. Yeah. Okay. It is. Yeah. Uh, Charm City. <laughs> Represent. <charming>. Yeah. Oh <laughs> wow. No, you didn't do that. That's beneath you. <laughs> So let's, let's sprinkle in some things around education. Let's do. So one thing that we are always, always working on is moving the Marrakesh Treaty forward. Marrakesh Treaty. What's that? So the Marrakesh Treaty is a worldwide effort to get books accessible to everyone at the same time. So all students at the same time. I believe in particular, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I believe in particular it has to do with higher education. Well, I, I can't correct you because I'm still learning a lot about that myself. I know that we are doing some significant work. Scott Labar has been here several times with meetings in D.C. with our executive director of advocacy and policy, Mr. John Perret. So I know that we're making significant strides toward making sure that those books across borders are accessible to the blind. I like that. Books mm -hmm. across borders. Yeah. 
the thing about the Marrakesh Treaty that is interesting is that America, the United States of America, is very, very slow to want to ratify. And you would think that as progressive as we are as a country, that we would be on it. And we're like, nope, like we're Sunday strolling. Yeah, about the it. dynamics of that are really, un- they, I don't understand them. There's so many things within the realm of policy and regulations that just don't make sense. I mean, the five weight refresh regulations, they, they should have been out. Uh, the Marrakesh Treaty, it's a no brainer. How does it hurt the world that blind people here in the States can use Braille books that were printed and published in France? How, how, how does the sharing of intellectual knowledge to help one grow uh, harm the world? Right. And how, there again, we are fighting to be on that level playing field, you know, and that, and that crosses the international lines. And like I say, other countries are on it. Other countries have ratified the Marrakesh Treaty and the mm-hmm. United States is just kind of dragging our feet. I think they're afraid of us. They're afraid of blind people. They don't want us to be educated because they're afraid of our intellect and capacity. Maybe. I mean, they should be. <laughs> so, well, I think you, I may have gone a little too far with that, but it felt good. Did it? Yeah. Do you, yeah. You're, yeah. 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 As long as as long as it felt good. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, and we're also the National Federation of the Blind is also working a lot with making sure that I know our parents division, the National Organization of Parents of Blind Children, is always working on making sure that. Blind children are represented from the time they start school and even before then with the IEP meetings and making sure that they have everything that they need. Absolutely. I I think that the NOPBC is definitely a key to that. And I love talking to the parents and thanking them for giving us access to their children. Uh, And we in the Federation are committed to making sure that the educational systems, which currently aren't doing our students justice, really steps up. Um, And in those instances where we realize that the schools won't teach them, then we will. Exactly. Uh, I love the fact that our blind, our Bell program, our blind, no, I'm sorry, Braille Enrichment Literacy and Learning Program or Academy now because we're stepping up mm-hmm. to improve the perception of what we offer. The, the Bell Academy is a two-week summer program, for those of you who don't know, where we bring in blind and low-vision students um, into an environment with blind mentors and teachers, and we teach them Braille. And this is in many instances where the low-vision students aren't being taught Braille because the school system thinks they have sufficient sight. And during that two-week period, we have a phenomenal impact on these kids because we teach them that not only is Braille easy to learn when you talk correctly, it's a usable uh, literacy tool. And we also integrate it into their everyday living. Uh, We have them uh, baking cupcakes from scratch and putting M&Ms and Braille characters on top of the cupcakes. And we take them out on field trips and teach them how to use their White canes. For them, they're long white canes. For me, they're little bitty toothpick size <laughs> sticks. <you know? laughs> they're pretty tiny. Yeah, but it's pretty cool watching that. And I love the impact, as I said earlier, that we're having on kids in a real way. In those bail programs, we have 31 of our affiliates participating this year with over 40 plus programs across the country. You know, and that makes me, I have to just stop for a second and give a shout out to my dad. Hi, Pops. Um, Because my dad was a very big advocate for me in school, especially with Braille. Um, I didn't attend a Bell program when I was in school in 1838. Um, No, I'm the old dude. No, that's right. You were probably in school last year, what, grade school? Look. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, you know. That's how old I am. Grade school. Grade Do they even school. call it grade school anymore? Uh, no. Oh, thanks. No. Thanks. Elementary. Elementary school? Wow. Oh, I thought you were calling me elementary. No. <laughs> elementary, my dear Neil. There you go. I yeah. like it. I, I uh, don't. That's like when you're walking down the hall, I'm going to be like, hello, yeah, my no. dear Neil. Uh, moving on. 
So anyway, <laughs> thanks to my dad for being a bit big advocate for me. Like it got to the point where when we would go to my beginning of the year meetings, they'd be like, Mr. Trevino's in the building. Wow. <laughs> and people would know because he wouldn't, he didn't settle, you know, and it's a good thing that we have the programs now like Bell that are empowering the kids and the parents for lifelong success, not just for school success. It's pretty awesome. Your dad's like a legacy member of NOPBC and look at what he, he has wrought. Is. The social media diva for the National Federation of the Blind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or in, or to him, Danny, go do the dishes. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, speaking of children and parents and paternal figures, uh, we have a fantastic presidential privilege coming up today with President Riccobono. And we're talking education, back to school. We're going to hear a little bit about his kids, too. So, Anil, I think you had the privilege of talking with the president this time, didn't you? Yes, I did. And it was a really interesting discussion. So let's take a listen to the moment of presidential privilege. All right. It's my pleasure again to be here with President Mark Riccobono, president of the National Federation of the Blind, for this moment of presidential privilege. How are you doing, Mr. President? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Excellent. Excellent. This month of July has been an amazing month. We have uh, post-convention activity along with pre-World Blind Union activity. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So just so we won't take you away from too much of your other responsibilities, glad you were able to join us. This month we're talking about education, and I think it will be very helpful for our members to know that this is not your first rodeo. Uh, <laughs> you have been brought up in that education space. As a matter of fact, I love teasing people about how you were only 12 years old when you were running education for the whole state of Wisconsin. So why don't you tell our members about your background with respect to education in Wisconsin? Well, I guess the first thing to say is uh, the short version. I didn't grow up really fully understanding that I was a blind person. I just thought I couldn't see so well. Uh, (laughs) If I got bold, I would say I was visually challenged. Oh, wow. Uh, But um, so... Once I started to get to know the National Federation of the Blind, I figured out that I knew a lot about what not to do in the education of blind children um, because I had experienced a lot of it. And uh, I got very interested in education partly because of the circumstances at the time in Wisconsin. Uh, Shortly before I became affiliate president, in our affiliate there, the state superintendent of public instruction had suggested to the legislature that the school for the blind be closed. Hmm. And this was a great suggestion. I say great because it actually started a conversation. My understanding and perception is that before that point, it was very dogmatic. Uh, you don't touch the school. Um you got a suggestion for how to improve it that's different than what we've been doing? Uh, no, we're not going to talk about that. So I, the school for the blind was a sacred cow. But yeah, a little wanna... bit. And I I wasn't really involved. I'm just kind of parsing out what I understand. So I, my understanding and, and what I see politically is that uh, it, it was a way to spark some honest conversation. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it worked because we created a transition plan for the state uh the legislature passed a bill and uh, to kind of reformat the agency and give it some broader responsibility and the first uh responsibility was to develop a transition plan i was part of the committee of folks from around the state who worked on the transition plan so i knew it very well because a lot of the ideas came from the federation through me 
Excellent. And uh, when it came time to hire a director for the new agency, uh, they had recruited once and didn't hire anybody, and so they opened it up again. And now you got you got to tell this story correctly. So they came to you and asked you and said, "Don't you think it would be a great idea?" Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> I I was always interacting with the leadership because I was president of the National Federation of the Blind of Wisconsin. So, you know, I was representing blind people in Wisconsin, and I met with the leadership now and then, and um, they did ask me. I was only twenty three years old, and the state superintendent asked me why I wasn't applying to be the director of this new agency. And I admit I didn't have a great answer, um, except that I was 20 years old, 23 years old and figured that it was um, out of my league. But I knew what not to do because I had experienced that sort of education. I knew about how to raise expectations from my experience in the National Federation of the Blind. I had a nationwide network of uh, mentors and thinkers in education that I could call on. You know, I could call uh, Dr. Fred Schroeder, who had done work in New Mexico and other places, or I could call um, our, our training centers or whatever it was. And uh, I knew the transition plan because I worked on developing it. So uh, they hired me to do that shortly before my 24th birthday. Okay, and, now uh, before you go further with that, yeah. I, I, I got to bring you on, put you on blast. That's one of the okay. reasons I love doing this. Yeah. So you skipped over the whole engagement, and I think that it's important because it, it's always relevant when we understand that sometimes we don't even recognize the expertise that we bring to the table. And it could be me. <clears throat> uh, it may have been a joke in the way it was explained before, but when you told me the story before, you say the gentleman came to you and said, don't you think, it would be a great idea if we had a blind person kind of running this. And you're like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. And, well, don't you think, you know, and he kept going around the bush really trying to hint toward you would be great for this job. Yes. He, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I just want that, that, that I don't want the, the, the listeners to miss out on that fact that here you are exactly like you described, uh, providing all of the, the input, uh, the expertise of the Federation, uh, developing the policies and procedures moving forward. And yet I still don't think and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that you saw yourself in that role of running it until you were approached. Well, no, and I think, um, you know, this gets all tied up with how we view ourselves as blind people. I was working at the time for Sears in their National Executive Trainee Program. I knew that I wanted to go into business because there was a time I thought, well, that is something that I could do. Mm -hmm. And I still love business. I love business models and thinking about those things. Um, but it wasn't the most interesting work I was doing. And the most interesting work I was doing is working on education of blind children in the state of Wisconsin as an advocate. And so I think when this first came up, I sort of wondered, well, you know, am I settling to do this because uh, – it's in the blindness arena. And a lot of people say, well, I don't want to work in disability. Mm. Um, so I think I had to resolve that on my own mind that uh, actually there's a lot of fun stuff to be done here. <laughs> and who better to do it um, than a blind person? It right. impacts blind people. Uh, I could provide mentorship to the kids at the school at the same time. I always saw that as part of my job, which I think was 
there was definitely some teachers that saw it that way, but mm-hmm. there were some people that didn't. You know, they figure at five o'clock they're done. Uh, when I was directing the center there, uh, you know, I helped coach go ball. <laughs> I was the assistant coach because I, you know, couldn't be the primary because you know I had other obligations. But I went on some of the trips. You know, it was the first time I think we had all blind chaperones go on a trip. Wow. Uh, was one of our goal ball trips. And uh, my wife, Melissa, went on that trip, actually, and uh, had to break up a fight. Uh, you know, that's what happens when you're working with kids. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We want to live normal lives. Yeah. <laughs> We're just a subset of society. Yeah. yeah. So mo- moving into this area of education, right, how, how would you describe the current state of our education throughout the nation for our blind students? Well, I, I think uh, my point of view is that they're – the education system is really failing all of our blind children. There's not any place where it's really innovative. I sometimes hesitate to say that because there are some great teachers out there right. um, who have great philosophy, high expectations, innovative teaching techniques, very creative. And there are some very good administrators out there trying to work within the constraints of money and politics and and all those other things to Mm -hmm. make things happen. Mm -hmm. But if you had to make an assessment overall, uh, it's a failure. It's not that the people are all failures. It's that the system is a failure. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's an important distinction because the system really is not set up to necessarily promote success from the beginning Special education, as it's evolved, is largely based on looking at deficits. Mm-hmm. And I think we know from our experience, we know from looking at how other aspects of, of life, whether it be business or engineering, play out, that the deficit model doesn't really get you to a place of high expectations. If you look at capacity, if you look at ability, you get to a better place. I mean, I was just giving a presentation about our blind driver challenge work, and if you start with the idea that blind people can't drive, you'll never get to building something that allows them to drive. Right. Um, And in engineering, there's this new line of thought about how you engineer things to be both uh, the best of technology, but also the best of the capacity that the humans have rather than trying to address deficits. So I think education's the same way. Special education is about the deficits, waiting for de- deficits to develop and then addressing them rather than being proactive. So that's why I say it's a failure. So then that that's probably the catalyst for the model that we in the National Federation of the Blind uses we we use rather to make sure that we flip that deficit into one that's more proactive. So I know that one of the, the statements or the mantras that we use in facing the school system and, and our plea toward making sure that the system evolves to a place that provides a better education is we say if you if they want teach them, then we will. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, if uh they won't teach them, we'll teach them ourselves. That's it. Um and This kind of comes out of, I guess, the work that we've done mostly uh, over the last 30-plus years in terms of Braille education. 
where we started passing braille bills, started thinking about how to make more materials available, started finding ways to raise expectations and teacher preparation programs, but didn't really take ownership of the teaching ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, our our goal was to change the teaching profession, and that is a worthy goal and one that we continue to do through our work in the federation, through our partnerships uh, like uh, with the Professional Research Institute on Blindness at Louisiana Tech. Mm-hmm. But we weren't directly as an organization of blind people taking ownership for doing the teaching. We were informally. But when our program to work on Braille instruction in the summer came around, which ultimately now is the Bell Academy, Mm -hmm. uh, it was one of those epiphanies that, well, duh, I mean, one of the things we should be doing to address this is doing it ourselves. Right. It was birthed birthed out of the recognition that our students in the mainstream school systems were not getting Braille for whatever reason, whether because they were deemed uh, cited enough so that they didn't need Braille or whether the teachers weren't proficient in promoting it. Uh, We did take ownership of that. And although we came out with the Braille literacy crisis research document, it's one thing to bring it to the attention of the world, but it's another thing to be part of the solution to this problem. Yeah. And uh, because we're doing it, we bring the authentic experience of blind people. and, And actually, we get the things that happen just from from really embedding blind people in some of these things. And so a lot of the work we do ends up being demonstration programs that are meant to teach other people how to do the same thing, but by us doing them. So the Bell Academy is not just about Braille. It's probably important for us to tell some of our listeners what the Bell Academy is. Oh, you don't want me to use any acronyms. That's right. Well, you can use acronyms, (laughs) but I want them to know, what is this Bell Academy? What is this wonderful thing they're speaking of? All right. Well, let me give you the 411. Okay. So so the Braille Enrichment for Literacy and Learning Academy, uh, the Bell Academy, is our our program for providing direct Braille instruction in the summer Mm -hmm. uh, to young blind people under the direction of uh, blind role models and volunteers. The program, as I say, the Braille is the hook to bring people together. But if you look at the curriculum now, because it's authentically driven by blind people, blind people say, well, yeah, Braille's great sitting and reading a book, but we use Braille all over the place. Mm-hmm. We use Braille in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use Braille traveling around, uh, not just to read signs, but uh, making notes. We use mm-hmm. Braille to go to the grocery store use and Braille have a for, list. To draw, to, for art. Braille for art. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we Maps. use Braille to play games. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use Braille to do graffiti. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Braille graffiti. Uh, and you start thinking up all sorts of things that then get people moving and doing new things. And innovating. And so, all right, we're going to go take a trip down to the store, um, but you need to use Braille to do X, Y, and Z, and it gets kids out moving, doing cool stuff. So it expands the curriculum because of this authentic involvement of blind people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, when we could go on and on about education, I mean, we could talk about how we've also uh, put together our youth slams and our other science academies to also make sure that the school systems know that 
blind students can do this. And even more important, that the blind students themselves know that they can be proactive and competitive in these academic arenas. Uh, we've also done the development of our national reading media assessment, which is coming under scrutiny. So, um, again, maybe we have to revisit the whole education program uh, topic. But I wanted to, to at least touch base with this. Um, earlier you were saying uh, that you didn't see yourself as a blind person. And because of that, the education that you were provided was fairly ineffectual related to providing you with the non-visual access skills to be academically competitive. So I, I recognize that that's one of the pure motivations of you in this education space, but um, I hope I'm not being inappropriate by saying that there's an additional motivation for you to be equally committed uh, to this uh, education um, goal that we have as a federation. I recognize that on an everyday basis, you, you're challenged with that whole work-life balance. Uh, how much do I give to the Federation? How do I balance that and make sure that I'm not denying what my family needs? But there's some intersectionality here uh, with your two daughters especially. Yeah, the, uh, uh, you know, the interesting thing um, about what we do in the education space is it provides us an opportunity to continually evaluate um, our own actions and how they uh, either raise or lower expectations for blind people. I think about one of the first, the first youth slam, and we said, we're going to get 200 kids together. Mm -hmm. Great idea. And when we started thinking about it, man, how are we going to keep track of 200 kids that, you know, if, if one happens to get lost, which, you know, I mean, kids wander off, mm -hmm. they're going to think, oh, yeah, a bunch of blind people, they can't keep track of anybody. So we started out by setting up a system that we had kids walking a very particular route, right? Mm -hmm. And some of our mentors said, uh, this is not authentic to what we do. Can we loosen it up a little? <laughs> and um, when we loosened it up, one of the things we figured out is we actually gave the kids jobs yeah. as marshals and things which was authentic to who we are, that we're giving people responsibility. And growth I, opportunities. Yeah, and I bring that up because that reflects a bit, little bit about the push and pull that parents have. Um, and as a parent, uh, you know, I want my kids to have opportunities. And certainly all of my kids, uh, my son and, and my two blind daughters. But uh, there's always that push and pull. How much is too much? And... Uh, what's enough and what's reasonable, what's age appropriate. So the interesting thing is I do have the experience of the Federation and, and the experience of what opportunities I did not have as a blind child. Um, balancing that, trying to figure out how to get my daughters into things, even things that I may not think that I can do just because mm -hmm. it's a, not an interest of mine, or I may not know how to do as a blind person. Uh, so continuing to be involved with the Federation is actually helpful as a parent in general, because it reminds me that I need to continue to encourage my kids to go into so many new spaces, even if I don't know what those spaces are like. And um, as uh, certainly is true, uh, of parents of blind children because um, when when you're a parent of a blind child, you have the parental barrier already, the protectiveness. Right. And um, it, you sometimes layer that then against the unawareness um, of blindness, the, 
well, I mean, the things that even as a blind parent, are there ways that I limit myself as a blind person, even unknowingly, just because I've never had the opportunity? Uh, you know, back to driving again, I guess just because I was in California talking about this. Um, one of the interesting things that we got into in the Youth Slam was we did this blind driver project. It was the prototype before we went to a real car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were adults who had been told now for 20 years or something, you know, you're never going to drive. Just don't worry about that. But here were these kids. We gave them this technology, and they were like, well, how do we – this should happen tomorrow. I mean, yeah. how do we make this happen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was stunning to me. They didn't have the understanding that you were never going to drive. Right, it, right. They, no they limitations in place. No no glass ceilings there. They so, were already ready. Bring it on. So when I think about um, as a parent of a blind child, how to continually create that, um, I don't know if it would be more difficult just being a sighted parent with a blind child or if it's more challenging as a – blind parent of a blind child simply because I have to be really careful not to um, limit my blind child simply based on the things that I've never, A, been interested in doing, Mm -hmm. know how to do, think about doing. Uh, So it's actually a benefit to me because it continues to push me out and try to do some things uh, that I might not otherwise do because knowing that my daughters are going to look at uh, us as parents and say, well, you know, they do it, so we should do it. So yeah. uh, it's it's an interesting day-to-day. Uh, it's challenging day-to-day. And the last thing I'd say is um, the worst thing about being a parent of a blind child is that I have to go to IEP meetings <laughs> as a parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can be our own worst advocates in those instances well, where it's directly and, uh, personal to uh, us. I sometimes say this, and I, if we have people listening, and it, 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 this is why we need um, members of the National Federation of the Blind to be advocates in IEPs. Because I've been in IEP meetings. These are individual education program meetings. Um, as an administrator, as an advocate, uh, but when I go as a parent, yeah, I just want to choke the guys sometimes <laughs> because, you know, they're talking about your kid. Your and, kid and, yeah. and sometimes they say things and, you know, I try to check myself. Oh, that's not what they really – that's not how they meant it. And, again, there's some great educators out there, so it's it's tricky. But when it's your child, the emotional level is so different. And, and that's really why the education work that we're doing in the Federation, why we need people – to be out there as advocates in these IEP meetings. And it you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Just being an authentic blind person with high expectations to be able to say, you know, let's just give this a reality check. And also to be able to say that for the parents. Um, because sometimes as parents, uh, we get into the mode and, and we're, we're looking – way down the field and not at what is happening right in front of us. Mm-hmm. And so uh, really important that our members be involved, get to know about the education of blind children and uh, start being advocates in these meetings, just a, a voice of reason in the room to help raise the expectations. And I think you just described why we are so effective in that space is because it is personal to us. 
Yep. But we're able to marry that with the, our family, right? That gives us those reality checks to make sure that there's balance in what we do. But it's that fundamental, uh, well, love that we have for each other that motivates us. And I think that's enhanced, especially, you know, when you're talking about your children, that love that you have for your children. If it motivates you to be aggressive in an area to make sure that the barriers are removed uh, for your own kids, it makes you that much more effective removing those barriers for, for everybody's kids. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm lucky because my girls are perfect. So <laughs> <laughs> This is true. <laughs> and I appreciate you sharing a little bit of your time uh, there, and I appreciate them sharing a little bit of their father's time with us on the Nations of Blind podcast. You've just listened to a moment of presidential privilege with President Mark Riccobono, president of the National Federation of the Blind. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anil, and thank you to President Riccobono, as always, for bringing us a little bit of that presidential privilege. Yeah, I love being able to take the time to, to you know, for me to get to know him better and for our members to get to know him better and for the world to get to know him better, but also to share in the good work that the Federation is doing uh, firsthand. And his commitment to his children uh, is just reflective of the educational commitment that he has to blind children across the country. I love hearing him talk about his kids. It, it puts a smile on my face every time. Mm-hmm. So speaking of kids, I have a little bit of a treat for you and our listeners. Oh, a treat. I got some audio from the Bell program here in Baltimore that happened cool. a few weeks ago. And it's the kids singing Braille is Beautiful. Oh, awesome. So why don't we take a break and play this audio for our listeners and we can maybe dance a little bit while we're listening. <laughs> you don't want me to dance. Can you do the hustle? I can in my head. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we better listen to the clip. You're listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast. We'll be right back. Yeah. Oh, I'm the blind, don't need a red sign. In the end, you'll find. 
Welcome back to the Nation's Blind Podcast. My name is Danielle Trevino, and I have the pleasure this afternoon to be joined via phone by Dr. Fred Schroeder. Hello, Dr. Schroeder. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? Good, good. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. So we're talking World Blind Union today on the Nation's Blind, and I wanted to ask you if you wouldn't mind explaining to our listeners who might not be familiar, um, what is the World Blind Union? Well, the World Blind Union is an organization made up of organizations. So in other words, individuals don't don't join the World Blind Union. Uh, organizations like the National Federation of the Blind and other organizations become members. And the World Blind Union is very conscious of the need to really be the representative voice of blind people. So even though some of the, or many of the organizations that belong to the World Blind Union are what we would think of as agencies providing services to blind people, not consumer organizations of blind people, there is a a good bit of of effort and energy put into making sure that, that the policies and the representation of votes and so on are all uh, balanced to ensure that representative organizations of the blind really are represented. Okay, so can you give me just a little bit of a comparison and compare and contrast between, let's say, the World Blind Union and the NFB? Well, I would say that the NFB is is a different kind of an organization in that we are exclusively a membership organization. We're an organization of blind people, and so if something pops up um, in a in a local community or in a state, or if it emerges as a national issue, uh, we have a very dynamic or or very responsive way of addressing those issues as they pop up. Um, when you talk about an organization like the World Blind Union that represents organizations around the around the world. Uh, it's it's a different system. It's it's not so much that individual advocacy system. So in other words, if there is a need in a in a country, let's say a developing country for education, the organizations in that country would have to do most of the advocacy. Now, the World Blind Union then would support in terms of uh, helping that country implement the new Marrakesh book treaty to make sure that educational materials were available, perhaps help with the implementation of the UN convention, which is really a treaty on the, on the rights of persons with disabilities. So that, that would be the, the difference. Excellent. So, Dr. Schroeder, I know that you have been a longtime leader in the Federation. You've been the first vice president of our board. You've been the president of a few of our affiliates. And currently, you are the first vice president of the World Blind Union, correct? That's correct. So, I understand that your name is actually going to be on the ballot for president of the WBU? 
Yes, yes. I'm really honored to be able to to run for the presidency, and the election will be held on the on the 19th of August. So uh, I'll know whether I'm uh, joyful or despairing. Well, we definitely wish you the best of luck in that endeavor and looking forward to seeing what's next with the World Blind Union and with you being involved with it as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. You are listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Nation's Blind Podcast. I'm Danielle Trevino in the studio with Mr. Chris Danielson. Hey, Chris. Hi, how are you? I'm good. What's news? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've got uh, a couple of news items. First of all, to stick with the back-to-school theme, uh, one of our news items has to do with note-takers. Did you use a note-taker in school? Not th- until college. Okay. I didn't either n- until college. But uh, a lot of young people use note-takers in school now, and of course, some of us may have heard that one of the newest note-takers on the market is the Braille Note Touch from HumanWare. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about the Braille Note Touch is that it's actually a note-taker, but it's on a, it's on a mainstream platform. It's an Android device. And one of the things that means is that it can use apps. And one of the apps it can use is KNFB Reader. And KNFB Reader, as we all know, is an app that uses the phone's camera and uh, so forth to convert print on the page into spoken words or Braille. Well, the National Federation of the Blind and HumanWare have announced that beginning very soon, just in time for back to school probably, the Braille Note Touch will include KNFB Reader Mobile as one of the apps that's installed on the device. And for those who already have a Braille Note Touch, it will be KNFB Reader will be in a free download that you will get for your device. And the cool thing about that is so the Braille Note Touch is a Braille device. It's got a Braille display and it's got an 8 megapixel camera on the back. So you will be able to take a picture of a document, an unidentified print object, as Jim Gashel calls it. A UPO. Yes, a UPO. (laughs) Uh, You'll be able to take a picture of it with the camera on your Braille Note Touch, and then you will have instant Braille. So document going from print to Braille almost instantly. How cool is that? And it's going to be right under your fingers. Exactly. And exactly. The, and the KNFB reader normally costs, uh, it's a, it's costs, you know, what is it, $99? Yeah, it, it can cost up to $99. I know we had a sale for the Android version, but I don't know. That sale may be over now. But, um, you know, and of course, the, the Braille Note Touch has a price tag as well. But, this is a free app that you'll get for the Braille Note Touch, and you'll have the document uh, scanned right into your Braille Note Touch, so the Braille will be immediately under your hands. So I think that's pretty cool. Chris, are you getting a uh, Braille Note Touch? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. If you do, can I borrow it sometimes? It's, yeah, it's tempting. You can definitely borrow it, yes. but but if you break it, 
we're we're not going to be friends anymore. Fine. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair enough. But that's cool. Cool technology for back to school. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a great thing. Uh, no more inaccessible handouts in class. So no excuses, kids. Do your homework. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what else you got for us? Well, let's talk about kiosks. Uh, and by kiosks, I mean those goofy electronic devices that are often inaccessible to us that are proliferating throughout the world. These are, you know, they put them in shopping malls for information. They put them in train stations for tickets, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. You can buy train tickets from them. And some are accessible, but a lot are not. But the good news is that we have just reached a deal with a company called Pursuant Health. So, and they're based in Atlanta. Pursuant Health makes these kiosks that you find in pharmacies and some retail stores that have pharmacies like Walmart. And these are kiosks where you can get your heart rate checked, get your oxygen level checked, get your blood pressure checked, get your uh, they can have a scale attached so that you can weigh yourself. Not that I ever want to do that. Um, but you can do all this stuff. And until now, they have not been accessible. Well, uh, the National Federation of the Blind and the Massachusetts Attorney General, Maura Healy, did some talking to Pursuant Health. And Pursuant Health has agreed to make its health kiosks accessible. And the really cool thing is not only will you be able to plug some headphones into a jack and hear your health results when you use the, you know, the different attachments to this kiosk, but you can actually create a membership at pursuant.com, which will be made accessible, and then you will be able to have your health care results emailed to you. Uh, so you'll be able to keep track of your health stats for yourself as a blind person. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, that'll be so great. Um, you know, because not everybody has a smartphone and a Fitbit and all that good stuff. So people uh, people will be able to keep track of their health just by checking, you know, doing a little checkup on themselves while they're at the pharmacy or the Walmart. And then they'll have that information in their inbox. And when they go to the doctor, they can say, I'm doing much better. My blood pressure is much lower. And uh, look at look at how great I am. So anyway. Well, and the, uh, another facet to that is the fact that I can go up to this kiosk or you can go up to this kiosk without any kind of assistance reading the results. So if I want to know how much I weigh, like I don't necessarily want the whole world to know how much <laughs> yeah, I weigh. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so it's great that these are going to be accessible and that we'll be able to email the information to ourselves because then, like you said, we could actually have um, a copy of what the results are to say, like, hey, I'm doing good or might not want to have that second piece of cake. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and of course, you can you can do all kinds of cool things like keep all those emails in a folder and track how you're doing over time. I mean, you know, organized people are going to be very excited about this. Extremely. I'm not, I'm not particularly organized, but anyway. Now, um, so the, the only down thing is about kiosks is we, we, there are still a lot of inaccessible kiosks. And one example of that is in New York City where they've installed these things called links 
to replace their old payphones. Now, are you old enough to remember payphones, Danielle? Those are the ones with the cords in the booths, right? Y- yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think and... I've seen them on Friends once. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they, um, you know, New York City doesn't use them anymore, uh, or they don't use very, very many of them, and they're replacing them with these um, these things they call links, uh, which are basically kiosks, and what these things do is they uh, they connect to the internet and they are Wi-Fi hotspots, but they also allow you to make local and long-distance calls. Of course, you probably pay for those and to call 911 in an emergency, but guess what? They're not accessible. And I mean, not even the 911 thing is accessible. Can you believe that? That's terrible. If if you're blind, you can't even uh, make an emergency call if you're in trouble on the streets of New York City. So we had to file a little lawsuit against New York City. Well, and rightly so. Exactly. Exactly. This is not, you know, these are ADA covered services and these things need to be accessible. So still some work to do on uh, kiosk accessibility. The infuriating thing, too, is that in the news stories about our lawsuit, the company that makes these kiosks said, oh, we're working on accessibility. We're going to fix this. And my question is, why did you roll out an inaccessible device in the first place? Exactly. Now you have to go back and fix it, Exactly. Uh, which means it may go out of service for everybody for a while while you're, while you're fixing it. I'm just so tired, Danielle of accessibility being an afterthought. Right. Well, if they would have started with universal design to begin with, they wouldn't have this problem. Right. And and it, it just sends the message, oh, blind people and people with disabilities, we'll just get to them later. They can just wait. And that just, just makes me a little bit angry. Yeah. But, you know, to end back on a good note, uh, Pursuant Health is doing the right thing. And uh, we're going to have accessible healthcare kiosks and Hopefully, the rest of the industry will follow Pursuant Health. And also in good news, I've got good political news. Do you believe that? When do you ever hear good political news? We can share you some good political news. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it so happens. You know, we've been working on this issue of subminimum wages for a long time now. And we've been saying that the policy of paying people with disabilities less than the minimum wage and less than the prevailing wage has to end. Well, now, both party platforms, the platforms of both political parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, actually say that both of the parties believe in eliminating the second-class wage system for people with disabilities. It's about time. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's incredible. I mean, we've gone from nobody, hardly anybody knowing about this issue to it being in the platforms of both political parties. And, and Hillary Clinton has talked about it on the campaign trail, and now it's in the Democratic and Republican Party platforms. So that is good political news. Great so, political news. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So when you're watching CNN and you want to throw things at the television because of all these goofy politicians, just remember, sometimes good things happen. So, And that's the news. Thank you so much, Mr. Danielson, for those great news updates. We're looking forward to hearing your news updates next month. Always a pleasure. You are listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast. We'll be right back.
Federationist read NCBYS tweet. At Curious Kid says, at the Museum of Science in hashtag Boston, I picked fake bookers <laughs> out of a really huge model of a nose in the Hall of Human Life. Smiley face. Hashtag yucky. Absolutely. Hashtag stem. At Proud Mama, that's a great handle, says, overheard my son saying, I want to be more independent at home. <laughs> Big mistake, kid. That spoke volumes to me. I'm sure Sure it did. Hashtag grateful. Hashtag awesome opportunity. Hashtag NCBYS. And I'll add hashtag now you'll have to make up your bed all by yourself all the time. Good luck. And scientist Sarah says, I asked a child at NFB STEM to you hashtag be more to watch the experiment. Quote, don't forget. I'm blind. At Apprentice Stem to You says, Piano keys on the floor? Do re me, give me more. Hashtag Science Museum, hashtag NCBYS. At AOTS says, Favorite overheard? Hashtag Exploratorium, hashtag Stem to You moment. Quote, I'm having so much fun. I'm forgetting about growing up. Does this make you forget about growing up? At Alleycat13 says, Dissecting starfish was amazingly spongy at Arizona Science Museum. Hashtag NCBYS. Hashtag STEM to you. I just learned something. Starfish are spongy. At Duct Tape King says, I use 10 million rolls of hashtag duct tape to build my boat at NFBEQ. Hashtag engineering. Hashtag STEM. Hopefully that was an over-exaggeration of the amount of ducting. Patriot Fan 29 says, All the boats floated. Hashtag, we did it. Hashtag, oh snap. Hashtag, we are awesome. At NL Shaheen says, Two years, six states, 11 programs, 400 participants, students, parents, teachers, hundreds of volunteers. One awesome at NFB underscore voice team. Hashtag time for a nap. At Riccobono says, Great job at NFB underscore voice. Hashtag what's next. Welcome back to the Nation's Blind Podcast. My name is Danielle Trevino in the studio with Mr. Anil Lewis. We, we should uh, name that whole segment, What's News? We should. <laughs> We're gonna. Yeah, that was a cute little corny joke that Thanks. you made during the uh, interview. Thanks. Pretty good stuff, though. <laughs> yeah, I still think Will, when he puts all this together, has got to <laughs> really make us look like we're polished professionals, but we need to add him some little sound bites. He needs to have like some wah wahs right, or right. some cha chings. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah just Will's, Will's a genius. Because well, when I listen to the show, he's I'm listening. like, don't, oh, don't feed his ego. I was going to say, because when I listen to the show, I'm like, we sound really good. Yeah, and, yeah I agree. And <laughs> it's all Will Schweiker, ladies is. and gentlemen. He does magic behind the booth. Send us an email to podcast at nfb.org to say, hey, Will, what's up? Great job. <laughs> you know, watch. We'll get like millions of those. Know, right? Nothing about will. school. They'd be flooded. Your inbox is full. Right? No yeah, more. Yeah. Your inbox can't take yeah. it. Schweika's awesome. <laughs> Love the, the engineer of the podcast. Great job. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that um, <laughs> that was good news. I love the fact that uh, the kiosk has been you know, done by a company out of Atlanta, hot Atlanta. Uh, but even more important, I think, to set the tone for next month's podcast, I love the news about the Time Act. 
yeah. uh, being part of the political platforms. It's about time. Many people may know when I came to work at the National Center, one of my jobs over at advocacy and policy was to advocate on behalf of the Federation for what was at that time called the Fair Wages Act, which has evolved into our transition to Integrated Meaningful Employment Act, the Time Act, and the fact that we as an organization have really been so instrumental uh, to get both party platforms to accept what we know to be true as part of their platform to eventually be turned into law. It's just a reflection of how powerful we are as an organization. They, we talk about collective action, right? But this is the actual manifestation of what that collective action can accomplish. Yep. Yeah. Because now it's it's nationwide. It's on, And it's not on one side or another side. It's on both platforms. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Pretty neat. Yeah. So next month is September, Labor Day. Uh, so we're talking about labor, the Labor Act and labor. And why do you go to school to get a job? That's what some people say. Right. Some people say, I go to school to learn. Right. Yeah. But you learn to get a job. Correct. Hopefully you want to get a job. Right. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about employment next month. So should we try to get our listeners to be proactive again? Let's do. Okay. Let's do. Come on, guys. So maybe we were doing it in the wrong order. You do the whole new school contemporary way that they can reach us. Okay. And then I'll make the appeal to the old schools. Okay. So, guys, since next month is Labor Day, um, you know, one thing that we can do to start demystifying the whole what blind people can work is by getting out in our communities and you know showing that blind people can live normal lives live we can live the lives we want we really truly can um so one way to do that is meet the blind month which is happening in october so if you are doing anything for meet the blind month send us an email or send us a tweet or a facebook message or a pigeon we do accept pigeons um, wow. What, as long as it's in Braille. Yeah. The note tied to the leg has to be in Braille. Right. Yeah. Always send that pigeon back. Say, I thought you were going to say the pigeon has to be in Braille. Wow. Really? Really. Wow. Sorry. Okay. So send us an email at podcast at nfb.org. You can tweet us at nfb underscore voice or send us a Facebook message. We are National Federation of the Blind on Facebook. Excellent. And for all of the old school guys out there who still have their flip phones or their princess phones, you know, with the long cords. You don't know anything about princess. I, I know everything about princesses. <laughs> Even princess phones yeah, with man. the rotary dial. Yes. You kill them. But, you, but I couldn't use it because I'd break a nail. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> the number here, ladies and gentlemen, for the Nation's Blind podcast is 410-659-9314. We're extension 2444. Looking forward to hearing from you, especially guys who know how far we've come with respect to the jobs that blind people are able to achieve as compared to last those that last century, uh, you know, <laughs> for you young people who don't even understand. We're interested in what you saw as the hurdles that you've overcome. And we, as an organization, are going to be diving into that space even more. And hopefully we'll be able to celebrate a lot of what we're doing and share it with the world during October, which is Meet the Blind Month. This has been the Nation's Blind Podcast. You can live the life you want. Blindness is not what holds you back. Thank you for listening to the Nation's Blind Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, send an email to podcast at nfb.org or leave us a voicemail at 410-659-9314, extension 2444. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at NFB underscore voice. Check out the Nation's Blind channel on YouTube. 
and visit us on the web at nfb.org. Until next time, remember, you can live the life you want. Blindness is not what holds you back.